0: to the next session of our Integrity podcast series, Understanding Integrity. This four-part series is brought to you by a partnership between the Institute of Public Administration Australia and the Australian Public Service Commission. Hi, my name is Rena Brunsma and I'm the first Assistant Commissioner at the Australian Public Service Commission, so thank you very much for joining me. I'd like to begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are broadcasting from today, the Noonawal people. And I wish to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of this wonderful country and region. Today, our topic is integrity and oversight agencies. We're going to expand on some of the content from our earlier podcasts by introducing you to some of the agencies that play a role in supporting and overseeing integrity in the APS. And we'll talk about how these fit together in the broader APS landscape. I'm joined by an amazing panel uh, with a wealth of experience in public sector leadership and integrity stewardship. I'll introduce them to you now. So we've got Michael Manthorpe, he's the former Commonwealth Ombudsman and he's the Deputy President of the Institute of Public Administration Australia here in the ACT. And also welcome to Graham Head, the inaugural commissioner of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, Quality and Safeguards Commission, and former New South Wales Public Service Commissioner. And finally, John Hoytink, the CEO of the ACT Integrity Commission. Michael, Graham, and John, thank you for sharing your time with us today. I really appreciate it. I might begin by asking each of you to give our listeners a quick bio. um, What is your experience in integrity agencies? So we might begin with Michael.
1: Okay, well, thanks, Rena. and It's great to be with you today. Um, So until my uh, fairly recent retirement, I spent and a bit years as the Commonwealth and ACT ombudsman. So in that job I led an office that took complaints, you don't have an ombudsman without complaints, Uh, complaints from the public about the administrative actions of almost all APS and ACT government agencies as well as a host of other functions. We were uh, as diverse as the postal industry ombudsman, the law enforcement ombudsman, the defence force ombudsman. We had a role in relation to immigration, particularly around immigration detention issues uh, vet student loans, private health insurance, and so on it goes. And we took complaints about all those places, but we also tried where we could resolve them. And we also tried and we also did undertake inspections, audits, um, and other activities in spaces where there aren't complaints, but, the, but where there is a public interest in oversight of administrative decision making. So a good example of that was in relation to the use of covert and intrusive powers by law enforcement agencies where the Ombudsman's office does a great deal of work to ensure that those agencies abide by the law and provide public and uh, assurance to the public and the parliament about that. And I should also say that prior to that, I spent about 33 years around the Australian Public Service where operating with professional integrity matters, of course, every day. So while today's podcast is about the various specialised agencies that seek to protect integrity It's, of course, everyone's job in the public service to uphold high standards of professional integrity, Uh, but I'll leave it there.
0: Thanks, Michael. Looks like you bring a wealth of experience to this discussion. Um, Graham, I might now hand over to you.
2: Thanks, Rena. Um, My role in integrity agencies was principally as the former and inaugural public service commissioner in New South Wales, an agency that... Uh, I established and led for about six and a half years. New South Wales had not had a public service commission, a separate statutory body for about 25 years. When when I set up the public service commission, it was a commitment of the, the government to establish such a body. It performed many of the workforce development functions that are common to public service commissions around the country. It also had an important role as an integrity agency, both through its responsibilities for the uh, ethical framework uh, that is part of the New South Wales legislation and for uh, conducting uh, inquiries, responding to complaints, et cetera, about the conduct of public servants where those complaints did not fall neatly into the responsibility of another body, such as the Office of the Ombudsman or one of the other integrity agencies. And of course, uh, much like Michael, uh, I'm no longer in the public sector. I left uh, the public sector at the end of June this year when I finished the NDIS commissioner role, and I'm now a, a partner at EY Port Jackson Partners. But for many decades, I was in leadership roles in the public sector, and like Michael, whether you're in an integrity agency or not, integrity of the public sector uh, and its practices is, is a very important part of what all public sector leaders are involved in.
0: Thanks, Graham. So we're gonna get perspectives from you of Commonwealth, state and private sector. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, last but not least, John.
3: Yeah, thanks very much for asking me to be part of this. Um, Oh, my role within the integrity agencies, um, I commenced with the New South Wales Independent Commission in 2004 um, in an investigation capacity. Um, I left that organisation um, after 15 years as the Executive Director of Investigations and the Acting CEO. Uh, I moved from there to the newly formed uh, CEO's business within the ACT, uh, the ACT Integrity Commission. Um, Prior to that, um, I worked for the AFP for about 20-odd years and for ATO for about four years, so all up I've got about 42-odd years in sort of law enforcement.
0: Great. Thanks, John. Also bringing um, a wealth of experience to the panel. I really appreciate and look forward to hearing from you. So we might start off with a bit of a discussion about the APS landscape. So um, I'm probably not the only one that uh, among our listeners who might think that it sometimes can appear pretty complex. Um, We've got several integrity and oversight agencies and they all play slightly different and sometimes similar roles. Um, Michael, I'm interested in understanding more about who these key agencies are in what we might describe as an ecosystem.
1: Yeah, sure, Rena. And um, you're right, Um, this is not always a landscape that is well understood. Um, And that's partly because there are quite a lot of agencies and most public servants have a little to do with some of them, but probably not much to do with others. Um, But it is important, I think, to understand the landscape, at least at some level. Um, So obviously, the big ones that people will think of are people like the Australian National Audit Office. Who come around and, and audit everybody's financial statements and take all sorts of performance every, audits every year. Uh, and so they are a notable integrity agency, uh, just as they're in, in, in our ACT uh, world, there is a, an equivalent ACT Auditor General. Um, the Ombudsman, well, I talked about him, uh, him or her, whoever the next one might be. Um, uh, and so I won't go on about that office any further. Um, But then there are others, people like the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, who's concerned with upholding privacy and FOI laws. Um, Your agency, Rena, the Australian Public Service Commission, has a a role in ensuring the integrity of personnel matters, much as Graham's entity did in New South Wales. And of course, within it sits the Merit Protection Agency with a particular specialised role in upholding the merit principle. The the Australian Human Rights Commission is is another one that has a different sort of role, in some ways a more external facing role, uh, in advancing notions of human rights in Australia, but it also has a role in the APS, for example, um, uh, in the immigration detention space. Then there's the AFP uh, that investigates um, allegations of uh, criminal or corrupt conduct of public servants. Um, So are some of the ones that probably many people would think of straight off. But then there are a variety of other more specialised entities. Uh, Think the Independent Parliamentary Expenses Authority, which, as the name suggests, has a specialised role in uh, keeping uh, track of parliamentary expenses uh, and the issues that sit there. And there are oversight bodies for specific parts of the system. So the the Inspector General of Intelligence and Security performs a role that is broadly analogous in the national security space to the role that the Ombudsman plays in the sort of broader administrative space. Uh, Similarly, there's an Inspector General of uh, the Australian Defence Force. There's an Inspector General of Taxation and a Taxation Ombudsman. Um, uh, There's the Australian Commission for Law Enforcement Integrity that has a role in overseeing uh, or or investigating and taking action about corruption allegations in law enforcement. Um, and, and, And on it goes. Um, and then even in, in the ACT system, there are bodies like John's, the uh, Integrity Commission here in the ACT. Um, so there is quite an ecosystem of independent entities. And in every jurisdiction, it's a slightly different combination of entities performing slightly different statutory functions. Uh, but it uh, it does public servants good to have some sense of, uh, of what all these different entities do.
0: Thanks, Michael. So you mentioned that, you know, um there's states and territories, other jurisdictions may have slightly differing arrangements. So, Graeme and John, given that you've both worked in Commonwealth and uh, state public sectors, I was wondering if you could share with us your impressions of how the integrity system compares uh, between the sectors. So, Graham, I might start with you. Uh,
2: Thanks. I think that generally the sort of characteristics of the system that Michael just outlined are what you... Uh, find in most states and territories, albeit with uh, some uh, specifically uh, focused uh, institutions in many states and territories that don't always directly mirror uh, what exists in the Commonwealth. But if you're leading uh, an integrity agency in a state or territory, just like uh, Michael described, you will be part of a network of agencies across the sector that have a range of uh, quite specific functions in respect of oversight. Again, uh, some of those will be very familiar to public servants, the uh, offices of the respective Auditors General in states and territories, Uh, the equivalents uh, of uh, statutory office holders with privacy and information functions related to uh, freedom of information legislation, uh, offices of ombudsmen and other bodies, including anti-corruption bodies. But I think the strong similarity is that any one agency is part of a constellation of oversight agencies, uh, each of which has a specific focus and powers that enable the agency to undertake the work that is the subject of that focus. And so while the form of it might be different jurisdiction to jurisdiction, the fact that you're part of a system of oversight is the same, and later on in the discussion, I'm sure we'll talk a bit about some of what's involved uh, in being an effective part of that kind of network.
0: Great, thanks. I like that uh, reference to a constellation of oversight agencies. Um, John, what about what? What can you share with us from your perspective about um, uh, the the way that this might it might differ between jurisdictions?
3: Um, I think what Graham said sort of hit the nail on the head, I mean, once you're part of the uh, the network of agencies that are involved with integrity and oversight, it's not just what an integrity commission do, it's that partnership that you have with the Ombudsman, with the Public Service Commission, with the Human Rights Commission, it's all those other agencies which work together. The integrity agencies generally would focus on serious and systemic corrupt conduct, whereas there's a lot of things that are reported to us that we would probably deal with, but like people like um, the uh, Ombudsman or the Auditor General may be better place to, to look at those sort of things. So certainly the, that network of agencies is really quite important, um, and having that sort of uh, interaction between the agencies and recognising what the different scope and, uh, of each agency is and what we can actually be achieved. It's about working in partnership with those agencies.
0: Thanks, John. That's really good and helpful. In thinking about the key players in this system, I'm curious about your impressions and the impressions of other members of the panel, why the role of integrity and oversight agencies is so important. So I might start with you, John, and then we'll um, map back through the other panel members.
3: I think it's part of um, looking at ensuring that the public has transparency and accountability in our our public service, whether that be state, territory or, or, or federal. So, it's important about those all those players that I mentioned before, and Graeme and Michael referred to as well, that is working together to make sure that the system that um, the public can rely on is is one that is is delivering um, value for for the public. Uh, we all expect that our um, people who work within the public sector, um, right up to uh, the politician level, all all work basically towards ensuring that the fabric of society is is strong. Um, and unfortunately, when corruption or um, oversight and integrity is not there, that's unfortunately when you get um, a lot more involvement, certainly, of, uh, of agencies like mine.
0: Yes, this, this constant theme of trust in the public service has come up through our, our other our recordings and series. Um, Graham, over to you. What why do you think it's so important to have these this constellation of oversight agencies? Uh,
2: well, I'd echo John's remarks. But I I would also say that one of the things that I think about in respect of these agencies, uh, whose work can sometimes be a little mysterious to people that don't have a lot of interaction, is that they're a critical enabler of trustworthiness. So we talk a lot about building trust. But in fact, what any public sector agency is doing is really asking for the trust of the public, the trust of uh, the government of the day and the other key players. And integrity agencies perform a critical function in uh, in a sense flushing out issues that may call into question the trustworthiness of an agency or its processes. And as John said, that is about value for money, but it's also about value for money for the community in terms of its resources, where there's an appropriate set of arrangements about ensuring uh, the proper uh, processes in place uh, around how that money is spent. But it's not all about resources Uh, either. There are uh, issues that, for instance, public service commissions deal with, which is around the general conduct of uh, the public service, and that can have uh, aspects that are related to sort of general workplace management issues. So there are, each integrity agency I think is about contributing to that larger picture around trustworthiness while also focusing on some specific uh, settings or processes or aspects of the sector that may be challenged in particular ways around those issues
0: thanks Graham and Michael from your perspective what why do you think it's so important to have these agencies
2: yeah um well I agree with everything
1: that both John and Graham have said so I'll try and pick up a couple of other related points um, one is that the, the agencies in various ways uphold the rights of citizens in their interactions with government so if you think of Uh, the agencies that are charged with freedom of administering freedom of information laws or or the privacy laws. um, There's there's no question that that from time to time people want to get access to information about um, what's going on in government and uh, and the Parliaments of Australia have passed laws to give effect to that um, in various ways and it's important that someone um, is in there uh, seeking to ensure those laws are upheld. Um, Similarly, Um, If I think about my former life in the Ombudsman's office, people have a right to complain if they don't like a decision that is taken in relation to them or the manner in which they're being treated by a government agency. It is really important that they have somewhere to go, which is free um, uh, and and relatively easy to access, uh, to to raise their concern. And sometimes you can help uh, those people. Sometimes you can't. Um, But nevertheless, it's important to have uh, those avenues for people's rights to be uh, upheld and examined and taken and their concerns taken seriously. And and then another angle to this, um, and again, it was true of the Ombudsman's Office, but I'm also sure it's true with respect to a number of the other agencies, whether it's integrity commissions, auditors general and all the rest, is um, each of the agencies have powers to go and look in places that um, the general member of the public can't and and frankly never will. Um, So an example of that, uh, back in my introductory comments, I mentioned the role the Ombudsman's Office plays in the oversight of law enforcement agencies and their use of um, covert and intrusive powers. So in that space where governments, parliaments, legislators, um, and law enforcement agencies themselves, are from time to time seeking greater powers to combat crime, to combat, you know, child sexual abuse and all sorts of other wrongs. Uh, that They accrete, um, through legislation, more powers to uh, do covert investigative work. And someone needs to be able to make sure that they're doing that in a way that is appropriate and lawful and so it's and report on that so that the public and the parliament can make sense of what's going on Um, so these are all these are all um, uh, important functions that go to the notion of or contribute to the notion of trustworthiness as Graham put it and trusting institutions trusting governments and bureaucracies and so on Um, That part of the whole story of checks and balances uh, in the system
0: Thanks, Michael. Um, You've nicely encapsulated, you know, at the end of the day, this is about the rights, interests and wellbeing of the public. Um, So it it is about, it's integral to trust in the public sector, in the public service. Uh, Moving on to, you know, there's such a, 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 a range of different agencies. I'm really interested into drilling down a little bit into how they fit together within the system. Um, So, John, I might start with you noting your experience with the anti-corruption agencies. You know, do you want to comment about, you know, how do these agencies actually operate together within the system?
3: Um, Well, obviously, there's a legislation background which sits underneath uh, and underpins how how agencies work. Um, I think it's also recognising that um, we can't do it all. Uh, An integrity agency can't do it all. Certainly, we could focus on the serious and systemic um, but for example, in, in my time was earlier when Michael was still in Canberra as the Inspector of the ACT um, Integrity Commission, there was a, a, a strong interaction between his office and the ACT Integrity Commission as to how we did our work. And that comes back to what, exactly what Michael said before about the checks and balances. So even though Integrity Commissions um, operate in some respects covertly for, for what we're how we actually obtain our information, the checks and balances for us are basically for the inspector, and that really applies to all of the other integrity agencies Australia-wide. They all have an inspector who looks after or looks overlooks how they actually do their business. So it's really understanding what the other agencies do, um, what resources they have to do that, um, and certainly the legislation which underpins it. Uh, there's also that capability to uh, run joint matters with those agencies um, because they may have particular powers or knowledge or skills that uh, would not be possessed within the agency. So it's really about um, that recognition and cooperation, um, recognising that one agency can't do it all and, and it needs that network, exactly as Graham said before, of agencies to actually work towards ensuring that we have transparency and accountability within our, um, in our public sector.
0: Thanks, John. Uh, Graham, and Michael, interested um, in your views on this particular topic. So, you know, how, how, agents, how these agencies work together, cooperate, collaborate, interconnect, I guess. Um, might start with you. Graham
2: well some of that I think depends on the particular jurisdiction and uh, whether or not there are formal arrangements in place uh, I'm not sure whether this remains the case because I haven't checked the the statute since I left uh, the New South Wales public sector but for instance um, under the public interest disclosures legislation in New South Wales there was uh, a body called the uh, Public Interest Disclosure Steering Committee, which actually brought the statutory office holders from a range of integrity agencies together in a formal structure to uh, deliberate around things that really related to the uh, the system that each statutory office holder had a responsibility in around disclosures of uh, of misconduct or alleged misconduct. So you have some formal mechanisms, but also I think um, uh, as John pointed out, every statutory office holder, when they look at a particular situation and they look at their powers, sometimes something sits very neatly within your remit. Sometimes it sits both within your remit and uh, that of one or more uh, other integrity agencies. So I think that there is a good discipline that develops with people uh, examining very carefully uh, their role in leading on something and then consulting uh, as appropriate and as provided for in various bits of legislation with the other officers around Uh, either a referral if that's provided for and your assessment is your own agency is not the right place or an area where there might be some dual uh, interest in an issue. So I think in short, there are some formal mechanisms in place and there is also a discipline that I observed where uh, the heads of integrity agencies were very carefully Uh, focused on making sure that they understood uh, where their own part of a problem sat in respect of uh, something that someone else may have a legitimate interest in.
0: Thanks, Graham. That's a nice segue into my next question. I'm kind of interested in how well the panel thinks the system is understood. Um, You know, we've got all these agencies. Michael, you mentioned quite a few right at the start, and I'm sure there's more. Um, I'm sort of interested in how it works in practice. So, Michael, drawing from your experience as the Commonwealth Ombudsman, do you think the system is very well understood by APS employees?
1: Um, I think it is partially understood by APS employees. Um, And then you've got to ask yourself how well is it understood by the public and, uh, and the agencies in the constellation, as Graham described it, um, whether that's at the Commonwealth level or State and Territory level, I know grapple with this question all the time, um, and particularly for those agencies that have some sort of public-facing um, responsibility. Um, you, you want to be able to steer people in the right direction. If you're not the right place to take uh, a complaint, a concern, a, an issue, whatever it might be, uh, you need to be able to get them to the right spot. So one of the ways in which the system works in practice is that the agencies are uh, regularly referring matters to each other to help either members of the public or, or, or people around the system to get to the right place to get their matter looked at and dealt with um, as reasonably as, and fully as it can be. Um, so so it's, I think there's still work to do to ensure that the system is really well understood by the public. Um, uh, whether that's at the Commonwealth or the state level. Uh, and then in terms of how the agencies work with each other, uh, there is, a, as I say, a, a, a regular kind of referral of matters from one to another. So, for example, uh, someone might come to um, the Ombudsman's office with a, a an allegation about corruption. And so that may well be something that gets referred from there to ACLE or to the Integrity Commission or to somewhere else. Um, the other thing to say about all this is, of course, The systems are in constant change. Um, So whilst uh, most uh, staff in line public service agencies might have a a sort of reasonably simple or a a, a reasonably um, uh, some sort of basic understanding of what the agencies, this group of agencies do. In fact, the roles and responsibilities keep evolving and keep changing um, as governments or parliaments um, identify different  … pieces of activity that need independent oversight. Um, So, uh, recent examples, if you think about the ACT, well, a few years ago, there wasn't an ACT integrity commission. Uh, There is today. Uh, and so then that needs to be fitted in within the, the framework at some future point, and I'm not going to make any comment on the political debate here, but in, at some future point, then there may will be a Commonwealth Integrity Commission. And so then the other integrity agencies will need to work with that entity uh, to figure out how to uh, sensibly, practically, cooperatively matters are referred to and from each other uh, and who oversees who and how that all works. So that that... Sort of conversation is a sort of constant um, discussion that goes on amongst the agencies, as is. Although the, the agencies aren't policy, they're not policy departments, but they do have an interest in the administrative design of how the Public Interest Disclosure Act um, or changed institutional arrangements and the like um, work. Uh, and so there is a um, there, there is a role there to engage with each other and and try to try to help make the system work as, as best as it possibly can in the interests of, well, everybody.
0: Thanks, Michael. And I guess it's sort of incumbent upon all of us to keep abreast of those changes in the system. Um, Graham, are you able to share with us your advice about how we can improve our understanding of and our ability to navigate the system?
2: Well, that's a, a, a short question, but the answer could take quite a long time. Look, I think one of the things to remember is that not all of what public servants need to do in order to feel confident that they can uh, report things, for instance, or respond appropriately to something uh, they observe requires everyone. Not everything requires people to have a detailed understanding of every aspect of the system. You want to know as a public servant that you are working in an organisation that encourages people to speak up if they observe something that uh, that they uh, think is, uh, you know, is wrong. Uh, You want people to know that there are resources available to help them understand what they've observed, how to assess that, and how to make Uh, a report to an appropriate person uh, of something that's troubling them. I do think that it's extremely important, particularly as we bring many more people into the public sector from the private or not for profit sector, um, that we uh, acknowledge that not everybody will have a background of having spent a large part of their career in the public sector. So it's very important when we bring people in that we do uh, really good onboarding about the special responsibilities that public servants have for the stewardship of public resources. And we need to support people to reason from first principles about how to assess that something may not be right and how to go and find information about what to do about it. So I don't think we need to educate everybody uh, in the detail of what every integrity agency does, because as an individual officer, you may not have very much contact with that system often, but we do need to support people to recognise the things that they need to be calling out and to understand how to get good support and information to act on those matters.
0: Thanks, Graeme. John, in closing, I'm wondering if you'd just like to share with us, um, do you see any emerging trends or risks that we should be aware of um, in relation to integrity in the system as a whole?
2: I don't
3: think there's any major. I think both Michael and Graham sort of, uh, again, hit the nail on the head, and I thoroughly endorse what both of them said in relation to making sure that there is a system or processes in place where people can... Recognise what what is wrong, what is what is good behaviour, what is bad behaviour in relation to the, the use of resources and corruption. Um, it's just just making sure we've got that in place. And one of the things for all of the corruption commissions is the um, is an education uh, facility. I mean, corruption prevention and education forms a, a very strong legisl- legislative basis, of, certainly within the ACT. And we have a, a very active role at the moment in actually making sure that we go out and do exactly those things that Graham and Michael were alluding to, is making sure that people are aware of, number one, there's places that they can report these things and may not be suitable for a corruption commission. It may go to the ombudsman, it may go to the public service commissioner. But making sure that people have got that support and that network and that knowledge that sits around the whole, the whole of the integrity system and, again, coming back to that whole network that we actually have. Um, as far as the agencies themselves are concerned, it, it's really... Um, making sure that the agencies have, have the resources to actually deal with the matters when they, when they come to the fore. Um, certainly, I will say from an ACT perspective, it's been a, um, a, a sort of a challenging role in getting the, getting the commission up and running, For certainly from, uh, from scratch when there, was, when there was nothing. And as Michael said, there, wasn't, there was not an integrity commission two years ago, and it's, um, it, it's really being able to sort of reach out to people like Michael and Graham and sort of the other integrity agencies and making sure it, it functions effectively. So I think overall, um, there's no particular emerging um, trends or that that would affect the integrity agencies, other than that's just a reinforcement of um, the education that's required across all agencies for how public servants can um, or people within the public sector can report matters that they see as as being uh, being corrupt or maladministration.
0: Thanks, John, and thank you to all the panelists today. I think you've really helped me and the listeners. Um, You've helped to demystify um, the, the system a little bit for us. What I'm reassured by, though, is that uh, you've mentioned that we don't need to understand every minute detail. Uh, we just have to have that broad understanding. We need to know you, we need to know why the system's there and that it is there and what it does. So um, I hope for our listeners, uh, this has given you um, some understanding of the system and how you can engage with it. Um, Thank you to all our listeners. I hope you'll join us for the next session. Uh, This will be the final in the series and it's called Getting Practical. Thank you all and goodbye for now. The Integrity Series is brought to you by the Institute of Public Administration Australia and the Australian Public Service Commission.